0: You're listening to Blackpool Church Podcast. Join us for our Sunday gatherings to make friends, explore faith and encounter God. Visit our website, blackpool.church This is the Talk Archive. Hey everybody, it's Andy here. Just wanted to let you know that this episode has some really bad audio quality because we were in a new building, setting up all sorts of different things. I'm focusing on making sure that the Sunday was as good as possible for people in the room. But we thought it was a really important episode, so I wanted to include it on the podcast anyway. And I hope you can make the most of it, even if the audio is not too great. This is Holy Ground, part one. Um, brilliant. So we are going to be starting a new little series, which is called Holy Ground, and my strapline for it is Exodus Encounters for a Church on the Moon. Holy Ground, Exodus Encounters, for a church on the move. And the vision, really, is this. As a church, we are on the move, physically and metaphorically as well, and we are out of our holy ground, which has been uh, the wonderful St John's building in the centre of town. That's been our church's holy ground since the 25th of June, 1878, something like that. I think only Matt was part of the congregation back then, originally, but... uh, of that that space, are thinking, what does this sort of mean for us to be here for the next 10 or so weeks while some work is done on our building? But what we see in this book of the Bible, the second book of the Bible, called Exodus, is that God is willing to meet with people in all sorts of different places. He's willing to meet with them in tents, and on mountains, and in burning bushes, and all sorts of different places, and those places become holy when he meets with people there. He sets them apart to make them holy. And so, what I suspect is that maybe during this season, while we're out of our building, God might want to meet with us. And that will make this place and it might make us as a church a holy ground. So, we're going to spend 10 weeks looking at three or four different encounters in the book of Exodus, three different times that God meets with Moses. And we're going to think a bit about what they might mean. And the particular kind of theme for the whole thing is holiness. What does it mean for us to be holy as a church? So here we go. This is part one. And um, if you've got a Bible, then you can open it up. And we're heading to Exodus 3, 1 to 10. But I'll read it for us. Exodus 3, 1 to 10. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There an angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he'd gone over to to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. Practice that list. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me And I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So our hero, Moses, has grown up as a Hebrew. And he's been split between two different families, effectively. His own biological family, which is a Hebrew family, but also he's been looked after on behalf of the Egyptian royal family. And if you've seen the Prince of Egypt film, then you'll know some of the story of what happens. Which is that one day he heads out and he sees an Egyptian being cruel to a Hebrew guy. And uh, he intervenes, and as he intervenes, he inadvertently kills this Egyptian guard. And uh, he sort of thinks, oh well, maybe I've got away with it. But then the next day, he comes across two Hebrews who are arguing and he's like, tries to intervene again and say like, oh, you shouldn't be arguing. And they say to him, oh, Moses, are you going to do the same thing to us that you did to the Egyptian? Are you going to kill us now for arguing? And he realises he's been rumbled and that he's potentially at risk of being executed or locked up for murder. So he flees and he flees out into the wilderness. He becomes a sheep farmer for this guy called Jethro, and he marries her daughter, and he lives with them for many, many years, working as a sheep farmer, sort of in exile, out in the middle of nowhere. And so as we come to start this series on holiness, we find a pretty unlikely hero, I think, to become a holy person. It's this, like, murderer on the run from justice. And it might beg the question, to us. Do we think we're likely or unlikely heroes to become holy people? Do you you sort of think of yourself as somebody who is likely, in ten weeks' time or so, to be known as a holy person? Do you think that will happen to you? I don't know. Do people already say that you're a very holy person? I don't know, possibly. Do you think that might change over the next ten weeks? No, maybe it feels like a slightly unlikely thing. To me it feels like a relatively unlikely thing to happen. And so the question first that I want us to ask on this first week is what actually is holiness? And what might it look like if we were to become holy people? I've got three words for us, and the first word on holiness is different. I think holiness is about difference. In the passage, Moses has taken his flock and he's travelled across to the other side of this wilderness. And he gets to a place called Horeb, which is also called Sinai at different points during the Bible. And it's a mountain. And in verse 2, it says this. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. Now I think it needs a little bit of unpicking, there's this character who's appeared, it's called the angel of the Lord, and he appears at different points throughout the Old Testament, and it's a really mysterious sort of character. At some points uh, it seems to be someone kind of separate from God, and at different points it feels almost like the angel of the Lord is God. And uh, the word that's being used for angel is actually just the word messenger, really. And any time, in fact, in the Bible that you read the word angel, it's just the word messenger, effectively. And uh, in this reading, what we discover is that this angel of the Lord seems to be effectively God coming as a messenger. And because very quickly in the interaction, it's not anybody else talking to Moses. It's God. And so verse 2 continues. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. Okay? And then he thought, I will go and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. Which is fair enough, isn't it? It's a pretty unusual thing to happen. You're walking in the wilderness and you see a bush on fire, and when you look more closely, you realize, even though it's on fire, it seems to be fine. If you were walking in Blackpool the other week and you saw that massive fire in that shop in town, then you looked more closely and you realized people were actually going into the shop and out of it. It was being used as a fully functioning shop while being on fire. You would think, pretty strange sight. I'll go and have a little bit of a closer investigation as to what's going on there. And I think it's sort of the first marker for us of what holiness is like, which is that it's strange. It's different. It is not a normal thing that happens when a person becomes holy. Often when I think of the word holy, what I normally think of is something like perfection or like morality. I think of it as people being really well behaved said like holier than thou or something you think oh gosh they must be like really amazing sort of perfect person but i don't think that captures the full essence of what the bible means when it talks about holiness for instance there are all sorts of things that are described in the bible as holy that aren't moral Uh, so like the sabbath saturdays they're described as holy but that's not because Saturdays always remember to brush their teeth or something. It's not, it's not because Saturday is a particularly well-behaved day. It's because they're different. They're unlike the other days. Saturdays are given by God as a day for rest. Sabbath is a day for rest. Whereas the other days, they're for work. Similarly, the temple is described a lot of the time by God as holy. Again, it's not because the temple does its homework, the temple is like really wonderful and kind. No, it's because the temple is different. the other buildings. It's given for worship and the other buildings aren't. There's even a a point in the Bible where some Olive oil is described as holy. Now I love olive oil. If if you're looking for a Christmas present for me next year, extra virgin olive oil. (laughs) All day long and I would be delighted, thank you very much. But, olive oil is not going to win the Nobel Peace Prize. It's just not. It's not a good thing particularly in that sense. It's just a different thing. When God describes it as holy, saying that there's, there's this oil which is given to, to pray for people, to anoint them. So there's all this food which is for eating, and then there's this different stuff that is used for prayer in that particular context. And so a key part of what it means for us to be holy as a church is to be different, to be set apart, to have things which are true about us, which are not true about other people. And that could be in a million different ways, many of which may be uh, sort of moral, as it were. Other people might do things that we wouldn't do. Other people might speak badly of people behind their backs, or they might mislead or lie or overpromise, but we won't. Other people might be addicted to porn or their phones they might spend too much time on, Facebook or whatever it is, but we won't. Other people might treat divorce lightly. they might not encourage their family, they might disrespect their parents, but we won't. Others might overindulge, they might refuse to forgive, they might over, overvalue their possessions. They might not carefully study the scriptures, they might not give the power of prayer proper diligence. They might reject all things spiritual, but we won't. And not necessarily just because those things are good, though many of them are, but because God calls each one of us to live different lives that stick out, so that people will see you and know that there is something different about you. It's what holiness is all about. We'll be known for reckless, reckless generosity, for innocence, for purity. We'll be known as those who love others before ourselves, maybe not immediately and completely, but bit by bit, building lives which are different and radically different. Bring on the Jesus freaks, i say, and the Bible bashes. Because Christianity is not supposed to look normal or boring. It's supposed to look radically, radically different. That's the first word, different. And the second word, which inevitably follows on from that, is dangerous. Dangerous. Um, a few months ago, some of you on there, that, uh, me and Nick, got our garage broken into. And uh, we got loads of stuff in Nicked from our garage. But fortunately, we were insured and uh, that means over the last little period, I've been out like, shopping and buying all sorts of brand-new shiny tools, which have been really, really exciting. i brought one with, you, with me to show you. Here we go. <coughs> it's this. One of these. Okay. Which, as you all know, is the Makita dxs 501 z it's the 18 volt version, battery powered with 136 mil blade. Love it, I thought about doing a demo for you, but um, I thought the paperwork and the hoovering wasn't worth it, but basically, you know sort of how this thing works hopefully, basically you, you put a battery in, it doesn't have a battery now, so don't worry, and uh, you press this little safety switch here, you squeeze the trigger, you start spinning, and you line up the edge with something straight, and you like, whoosh, straight through, and it cuts your preaching table in half with a like, <laughs> really beautiful, sharp, clean cut. It's my new toy. Uh, but let's say I, I got this and I thought the one problem with it is that it's a bit dangerous. So maybe I'll do a few things to try and make it safer. So what about if I took the blade and I thought, it's a bit big, maybe let's make it smaller. And it spins quite fast. Maybe I can make it spin slower. And maybe it's a bit sharp, so we can make it blunter. Rather than metal, let's make it out of fuzzy felt, or something like that. (laughs) Then at some point, we would reach the moment where my saw would stop being a saw. Right? It would no longer be able to do the thing that it was made to do. There's a sense in which the saw is only the saw, if it is dangerous. I'm going to put it back over there. think the same thing is true actually in a sense about holiness. There's a sense in which holiness is dangerous in many different ways and actually if it's not dangerous then it's not holiness. God in the story, he appears to Moses in a fire, the middle of a fire and in a couple of different moments in the book of Exodus that we'll come to, God appears in even bigger and more powerful times. <laughs> There's a moment where he appears in a pillar of fire that separates one army from another. There's another where fire falls on a mountain and it's so violent that the mountain starts to earthquake. And God says, set perimeters around this mountain so that nobody would even touch it. And when you ask the question why, it says, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground various scholars who have been writing about this interaction have proposed all sorts of different theories for what's going on and one of the theories I came across is that the the burning bush that Moses saw wasn't really burning per se, it was more like just a bush with these really brightly coloured flowers on them and maybe it was like a really sunny day, it was so sunny that these flowers looked like really bright and then Moses thought that's probably on fire. Now, I don't know Moses, personally, but I can tell the difference between a bush that's on fire and a bush with flowers on it on a sunny day. I just can. Maybe that's just me, but I can tell the difference a hundred times out of a hundred. It's a ridiculous theory, but why is it that people might suggest things like that? I think it's because we're obsessed with making a dangerous God safer. The idea that he appears in fire, sets things on fire and speaks from them, is is uncomfortable because this God is wild and dangerous. But it's important to remember that if we pursue holiness as a church, it can be dangerous in many different ways. If you pursue holiness, people will probably feel judged by it. Whether you like it or not, they will. Some people will be offended by your holiness if you choose to live in a particular way. If you choose to live a holy life, you you might leave yourself undefended, seeking the best for other people and not for yourself, and that can be dangerous. You might also actively choose things which are costly for you. All of those things can be dangerous. But holiness, if it's holiness, is dangerous. So what's then the last word on holiness? Uh, There's lots of brilliant scenes in C.S. Lewis's the line, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. But one of my favourite scenes has Susan, and Susan is with Mr. Beaver, and she's just discovering about Aslan for the first time. Mr. Beaver's talking about Aslan, who, if you know the story as well, is like a sort of uh, fictional representation of Jesus. And no, that's not a spoiler, it's just true. And um, uh, he, Mr. Beaver's telling Susan about Aslan, and Susan expects that Aslan is going to be a person, a human. But instead, he's a lion. And that's pretty surprising. And she says, I should feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And she asks Mr. Beaver if Aslan is safe. And Mr. Beaver replies, Safe. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. Hope you're familiar with the idea of God's goodness. If you've been around this church for a while and you're not familiar with that, then I've not been doing a very good job. But I don't think Moses would have necessarily been familiar with the idea that there's a good God. Partly because his circumstances didn't look particularly good. He was on the run and his people had been in slavery, being brutally tortured. But often our circumstances aren't representative of God's goodness actually he doesn't need our circumstances to be defined. But mostly, I think Moses wouldn't have recognised God's goodness because he was in a culture in which there were many, many gods and virtually none of them would have been thought of as good. The gods of the Egyptians were not good. They were pernicious and mean-spirited. They were unpredictable, flying off the handle at the smallest things. And so people would sacrifice various things to these gods in the hope that when they finally did blow a fuse, they'd take it out on somebody else and not on them. These gods were cruel. And Moses wouldn't have known necessarily whether the god of Jacob and Abraham and Isaac was a good god or not. And then in his interaction in verse 7, the Lord says this I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. It's an incredible realization for this guy that God would be concerned about people's suffering. That he would see people hurting and actually care. He is an unthinkably good God. And at the start of this series on holiness, that needs to be our intention as well. To be people who care for others, who are deeply concerned about those who are suffering. To do what we can to serve them. That's the driver for God's holiness in this passage. Is the driver for everything that goes on from this story. story. We're right at the start of it. and We've got loads of amazing things to come. But the whole thing is happening, not because God is just fancy being in a bush. It's happening because God is concerned about the suffering of his people. And so in response, I think God has chosen Moses and he chooses us. Before us is the challenge of holiness over these next 10, 12 weeks, whatever it might be. We're to choose as a church to be holy, to be different, to be different in ways that might be dangerous, and to do it all because God has called us to be good and to serve his goodness. So let me ask you some questions to finish. What do you need to change? this year in order to be distinctive and different to those around you? What might you need to be willing to risk in order to live a dangerous holy life? What oh, good thing does God